imagine this, you know, I was 20 years old at the time. We get called to the house. The wife's called us because the husband's having chest pain. Sure enough, he's having a full-blown heart attack, trying to tell, hey, you need to go to the hospital. We can't afford the ambulance. We can't go, this and that. And I was like, it's like, sir, you really need to go. And I could see him starting to get agitated and really didn't want to worsen it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because the stress level increasing. And of course, we can't make them go because mm-hmm. that's kidnapping. So what we end up doing is, you know, you get like a refusal or no transport. And I just strongly encourage, hey, get your wife to take you if you're not going to take mm-hmm. us because you're having a heart attack. And he's like, well, I'll see if I get better. Sir, I was like, I can't make you go. I said, but I strongly, strongly advise you to go. Yeah. And, you know, I said, just please go for your family. That's the last thing I, t- I said to him. Okay. Less than 30 minutes later, we get called back. Open the door. Right by the front door, he's laying on the floor. His 16-year-old son's doing CPR. Jesus. And I, I can't say that him, you know, we transport him, he would have lived. Yeah. But he sure as hell would have had a fighting chance. Yeah. Welcome to the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast. Healthcare is broken. And we aim to fix it one conversation at a time. Any pro that, you know, you ask that is both 300s, they'll say there's some luck involved with it. Sure, You sure. probably have two or three shots that easily could have gone another way. And th- there's other times, too, I mean, you throw a perfect final shot for that 300, and you leave like a seven pin for me, which is like the back left corner. So if you left one pin on that final frame, what does that score? 299. 299. Damn it. 299. If it's your very, so you get your first two strikes on the 10th and then last one. So it's only one. Okay. Damn. Yeah. It's 299. Like how often is a 300 bold in a tournament setting? Is it still pretty rare? It's not very often. It's not not very often. Okay. So actually the other day it happened twice in the same tournament, same day, but that was the first time in, I think like 10 years. That I saw that that's happened. No, okay, okay. So I guess I my, my naivety about bowling is I just presume once you're at that level, three hundreds were a common oh, no, occurrence. Okay. Because the thing is in tournaments, so this is really getting into it, but I, I want to hear. Yeah, it. yeah I want to hear. <laughs> it. So, so getting in tournaments, the uh, the oil patterns they put on the lane, okay, gets really tricky. Huh. So you have to figure out, try to figure out what that oil pattern is, and then as play goes on, think about balls, the ball balls rolling over the oil is yep. pushing the oil too, okay. one direction or the Ooh. other. Scratch my. We're not talking about math, and we're gonna go. We're gonna go. Uh, yeah, all bowling. I'm gonna Dude, do a special nuts. bonus bowling episode. Well, at lunch after this, I want to. I want to keep going into the bowling. I, I presume we're. Yeah. Presume, and maybe we'll keep that. Maybe I'll just start the podcast <laughs> off with all the bowling stuff. But in the interest of the, you know, the purpose of the podcast today, so I'm with Will Winters of Massa. Is, am I saying it Massa right? Or what Massa. Is that yeah. I, I say Massa. Some people say Mesa. It Mesa. just really kind of depends. But and what does that acronym say? For? Uh, Medical Air Services Association. Okay, so we're so we're going to talk about air transport and ground transport for emergency situations, right? That's right. that's mostly what you guys do. Never covered the subject at all. I'm really fascinated because I probably, there's a million things I don't know that I'm curious to dig into. Uh, but well, before we do that, why don't you talk to me about who you are? We already got some of the bowling stuff. I may, <laughs> I may get into a little bit more bowling just to, just to make sure we get it into the podcast because it is fascinating, but give me your background, Mel. Where'd you grow up? You know, what, what brought you here today? Awesome, man. And hey, I appreciate, you know, the opportunity to be here, right? And, My pleasure, man. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, big fan of yours and Definitely, you're doing a great thing with these podcasts, so cool. you know, keep it up, man. Uh, Appreciate you. So, you know, I guess about me, um, you know, like any kid growing up, especially any boy, you want to be that doctor, you want to be that firefighter, you want to, you know, be the astronaut, whatever it may yeah. be. For me, it was to be a doctor, and okay. I always wanted to be a doctor, and there's just something about that just fascinated me. So as I was growing up, you know, kind of How old were you when you had so, this idea that I wanted to be a doctor? I think I was probably like, honestly, five or six. Oh, okay. I okay. mean, it was early on that I was like, hey, I want to be a doctor. Cool. And so, I mean, there's pictures of me walking around, 
like, you know, a little scrub outfit, you know, costume type thing. I mean, yeah. that was my thing. I want to be a doctor. Cool. And uh, whenever I got to um, probably junior high, early, you know, kind of high school, you know, freshman, sophomore year of high school, I was going to the next level with this. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't just don't want to be a doctor. I want to be the best doctor. I want everybody to know who I am, you know, whether it's a trauma surgeon or an ER doc, whoever it yeah. is, like basically a world renowned, right? Okay. And it's just one of those things that that's the path that I thought I was going to go down. Okay. And it wasn't until my junior year of high school that I got introduced to our shop teacher. Kind of an odd combination there, right? Yeah. But uh, one of my teachers kind of knew the direction I wanted to go in the healthcare come to find out that shop teacher is also a part-time paramedic. Okay. And so, you know, I started developing a relationship with him and he basically became a mentor to me on many different levels. And, uh, he encouraged me my senior year to go ahead and say, just going to take an EMT basic class our senior year. Cause okay. we had the opportunity to, so you could do that at, in your high school, you in the take? high school, oh, cool. through, through the high school, but through the community college. Okay. okay. So I was like, heck, why not? Sure. You know, let's get after it. It's, it doesn't hurt anything. Mm-hmm. So I went and did that. And then, as I was doing that, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I could, uh, I kind of like this. And so the whole doctor dream started kind of slowly fading away. Was it because the so, immediacy of being able to go into kind of practicing uh, as an EMT? Was it just a, the learning curve, or if you will, the time uh, needed to do that? Or I think it was more of the adrenaline rush. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, I think that's what really started tracking me initially to it. Okay. And the fact that you didn't have to... I guess you say a little more immediacy too. You didn't have to go through medical school. Medical school. You didn't have to do all this. Plus, you had a lot of autonomy because there's nobody else there but you. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in essence, although you can't technically diagnose, you're basically diagnosing. Okay. You know, and treating the patient accordingly, right? And to me, I think that's what I got a little rush off of. Yeah. And so after I graduated high school, I was like, hmm. Mind you, I was only 17 when I graduated. But I was able to take the state test. I just couldn't be certified till I actually turned 18. Okay. But then I found this class to like a, it was an intermediate. Now they call it EMT advanced and paramedic combination class. So you go straight through to get your paramedic and, but you had to have your basic first. Okay. So I was sitting there. I was like, I wonder if I can get in this. I wonder if I can get in this. So I just really petitioned heavily (laughs) (laughs) the the course coordinator and got the approval to do it. Yeah. So I got to start when I was 17 because I'd already know I passed my test. Yeah. And I just couldn't do any clinicals or anything like that. Todd turned 18, you know, for that additional stuff. And, um, you know, I ended up taking my medic test two months after I turned 19 or three months after I turned 19, you know, and found out I passed it. I mean, this is back in the day. You still had to do like Scantron. Oh, I test. remember Scantron's with the I number two pencil, I was like, oh, pencil, my right? goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're sitting there. There's like 200 questions on this test. And do an old Scantron. It did you find you, not, you obviously had a passion for it. Did you find you also had sort of like a proficiency for it? Like you understood the material, like you, you were you passionate I, enough where you wanted to study and learn it and, you know, yeah, it, dig I felt, into it? I felt like I was fortunate if I kind of picked it up quickly too. Okay. Yeah. And I got really big into the card, cardiology portion of it and, of course, the trauma aspect of it. And it's just one of those things that kind of came naturally to me, I think. Obviously, I had to learn a lot still. Yeah. But I had the passion behind it, right? And so I wanted to learn it. Well, did you, did you, um, you know, you, you were talking about uh, growing up as a, wanting to be a doctor, right? And you were talking emergency style medicine or trauma. Did you, the adrenaline side of it, were you excited about the fact that like you would be in some very intense situations? Was that appealing to you as a young man? Or did you just think, oh, maybe that just comes with the territory of what I want to do? I I don't know. This podcast is brought to you by True Captive Insurance. 
a premier medical stop-loss captive for employer groups ranging from 25 to 1,000 employees. True Captive believes in healthcare that is personal and insurance that isn't complicated. That's why they take a white-glove approach, making it easy for employer groups to transition into a program built specifically for them. Check them out at truecaptive.com. This podcast is sponsored by PlanSight. PlanSight is a technology for employee benefits brokers to more efficiently manage their RFP process for any group size, all funding types, and over 20 benefit lines and point solutions. PlanSight is the only end-to-end RFP technology on the market today. Let's modernize your RFP process together. Check us out at PlanSight.com. I don't know if it was so much appealing to those intense situations in yeah. a sense, but it's more or less, I, think, I felt like I was making a difference. Cool. You know, and looking back, I think that's a lot of the reason the dream of being a doctor, right, was to make a difference okay. and have that lasting impact on somebody or something. And so I had another channel, if you may, to kind of go through and do that. And, you know, I, it's funny, I was thinking about this actually the other day. And because going, you know, with my recent birthday and stuff, I was 40, right? It's yeah. 40. Can we disclose? I'll be 40 <laughs> rolling with you. So I feel like it's okay. 40, I, man. Yeah, yeah. I hit that threshold somehow. So, uh, how's it feel? Is it everything? Did everything fall apart? The, the oh, it did day? immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I woke up the next day. I was like, oh, goodness. Oh, God. Well, no. I'm terrified now. <laughs> You're in for it. Yeah. No, uh, man, I, I, I feel fortunate. I feel very blessed in my life and the different things I've gone through and just the different opportunities for it. So, you know, each year I have, I'm very, very blessed for from that standpoint and just excited to live it to well, amen that. that. And so. you, were, you were talking to me, uh, you know, we, we were kind of getting in your backstory beforehand and you were talking to me about the why, the motivation of what you right. do now. I don't want to skip over too much because you spent a, a number of years as a emergency medical te- te- technician. That's what EMT stands for. Correct. I'm going to yes. get that right. Um, and then you told me about some events, right, that maybe kind of catapulted you to go a different direction. But so you were 19, you started, you're a medic. Then you went back to school, right? You went back to tech and actually studied, did undergrad in, in Lubbock at tech, correct? Yeah, so after working as a medic for, I don't know, four or five years, um, realized that I, I was enjoying what I was doing, but I really needed to find some other avenue okay. to kind of eventually transition to at some point. Because honestly, being a medic is not a you know an old man's <laughs> okay. job by any means, you know, especially the hours you are, the late, you know, the very physical intensiveness mm-hmm. behind it and so I knew that at some point I was gonna have to make that change okay and so I wanted to be able to really prepare myself for it and grow up loving tech you know and I ended up there for you know family reasons and stuff and I was like hell here's my opportunity so went all out and was able so to you were and, you were still working full-time and going to school man. I, was. I mean so how many hours were you putting in between both of those things a day <sighs> well it as a, I mean, I'd, I'd say for, because of the shifts that the medics work, yeah. you know, typically you're looking at a 24 hour shift or okay. when I was working as a flight medic, it's still a 24 hour shift. And so, um, I was able to work my schedules between work and school. So I did all my classes, say for example, on a Tuesday and Thursday. Okay. And then I worked the other days of the week, basically, you know, doing 24 hour shifts. So I was arranging anywhere from 70, 80, 90 hours a week of actual work. Yeah. And then going to school, but it worked out nicely in a sense because, again, most of the time when I was at school or at tech, I was working as a flight medic too, right? So I was able to actually get a lot of schoolwork done (laughs) while we're sitting there waiting for a flight. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess, yeah. So it was a nice blend for that, so it's not like... 
you know, an eight to five job that you're having. Well, and it probably kept you, day, kept so. you on track, right? I mean, right. I know with the Lubbock or Techie as a school that people go for other fun. reasons outside of <laughs> academic reasons, right? So, you know, they probably sports, kept sports. Sports. Exactly. exactly. That's what I was alluding to, football. <laughs> um, but no, I, I appreciate the fact, though, that you, you had that experience. We got it to do the school simultaneously, got to go to the school that you wanted right. to go to. Was there this moment though was there this epiphany when you're like i need to get out of this career or what was there a point where you thought i just too much well you know for me i don't want to say it was a point it was too much but you know there were certain things that were happening in the you know my career and just working as a clinician that started having an impact on me mm-hmm. and it's one of those things where i was just like i knew there had to be some change out there yeah. and something different to really solve this issue I just didn't know what it was, and I didn't really know how to look for it either, you yeah. know, at that time. Yeah. You know, one thing that, you know, really always bothered me is I saw uh, people making decisions, right, on their health care, whether they can afford that transport or not. Okay. And we're not talking about just lower income. I mean, we're talking middle class, upper middle class, um, and even, like, more of your wealthy clients are like, I don't you know, we can't afford this. So they're so still making a cost-benefit analysis oh, decision of, like, should I take it an ambulance or should I not? Big time. Okay. And it's, and unfortunately, too many times there was a bad outcome as a result of that, right? And, you know, just imagine this, you know, I was 20 years old at the time. We get called to this house and a, uh, the wife's called us because the husband's having chest pain. We get there. He didn't want to go. I was like, well, let's, I talked to him, hey, let's put on the monitor. Let's just kind of see what's going on there first. Sure enough, he's having a full blown heart attack, a full blown, you know, MI, trying to tell, hey, you need to go to the hospital. We can't afford the ambulance. We can't go this and that. And I was like, it's like, sir, you really need to go. Mm-hmm. And I could see him starting to get agitated and really didn't want to worsen it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because the stress level increasing. And of course we can't make him go because mm-hmm. that's kidnapping. <laughs> Honestly, I don't really feel like going to jail, <laughs> Yeah, <fair enough. laughs> you know, for that. Right. So what we end up doing is, you know, you get like a refusal or no transport. So it's Basically, like a document or something. Like the yeah. It just release, releases us of liability okay. is the big thing behind it. Right. And I just strongly encourage, hey, just get your wife to take you if you're not going to take mm-hmm. us because you're having a heart attack. And he's like, well, I'll see if I get better. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, sir, I was like, I can't make you go. I said, but I strongly, strongly advise you to go. Yeah. And, you know, I said, just please go for your family. That's the last thing I, t- I said to him. Okay. Less than 30 minutes later, we get called back. Called back to his to house. Drive back to his house. Okay. Open the door, right by the front door, he's laying on the floor. His 16-year-old son's doing CPR. Jesus. And I, I can't say that him, you know, we transport him, he would have lived. Yeah. But he sure as hell would have had a fighting chance. Yeah, the probability point, you know, obviously increased. Because, I mean, when a critical situation with a heart attack like that, you said full-blown, like, a myocardial infarction. Exactly. Is. So that's, you know, minutes or seconds obviously could make a difference. So this, this gentleman made a decision to not go for financial reasons possibly right his demise was a result of that choice um and i i can't imagine like what does that do to your psyche knowing like the only thing that you couldn't do was just convince him to go in a timely fashion like how do you how do you mentally cope with that you know it was it was very difficult really to kind of understand hey why are people making these decisions yeah especially because i mean i was younger right you know especially how old were you at this time Uh, i was about 20 years old okay so it's kind of like, dude, go to the hospital if you can go to the hospital. Yeah. You know, figure out everything later. Yeah. Again, because you're younger, so you don't really worry about that financial piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a family I was taking care of or anything like that either. And so that just wasn't on my forefront of my mind. But I saw it happening more and more. 
And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's, I knew there had to be some solution out there. Yep. And something to really create some kind of, um, where people can have that peace of mind, right? And get the care that they need when they need it. Whether it's by ground ambulance, air ambulance, however. Well, I can't tell you how many times, and I know yours sometimes is is a benefit, an insurance benefit, and not, and we'll we'll get into that in a moment. But I can't tell you how many people have sat on the couch with me, never intending to get into employee benefits or never intending to get into insurance, but there was some sort of catalyst, right? There was some event loss of a parent, loss of a, you know, a spouse, or just growing up and seeing something happen in the medical field that they go, well, clearly there's a problem. Right. I'm going to lean into figuring out how I could be a part of solving this. For you, obviously, it was the financial equation right. of that emergency transportation and recognition, at least, that this is broken. Exactly. So what is out there instead to fix it? So when did you finally make the determination, I'm going to leave this field and, and seek out a solution instead? Well, so, so after I finished tech, you know, for my undergrad, I went and got my master's. Okay. Um, just wasn't quite sure what I was going to be doing with that at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up doing business development for an air medical company. Um, really enjoyed, you know, doing all that. Then we got bought out by another company. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I was one of those that was a uh, victim of that acquisition. Okay. And so just basically on tenure, yep. right? And so at that point, I was like, I don't, I can't find a job. You know, this is when we're in the recession and just couldn't find a job. I was an overqualified paramedic, Okay, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> yeah. it, I was like, come on, guys. I was like, I can still be a medic. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't hurt anything. But uh, finally got a uh, one position. And I, I was, from when I actually accepted that position, I was supposed to be doing some clinical as well as some business development. Okay. So I was like, cool. Well, things didn't really transpire because of other events that occurred, and I just wanted that change. So I just kept looking, kept looking for different things. And a buddy of mine said, hey, why don't you apply for this job? I was like, what job? <laughs> He's like, I can't tell you what it is. It's not posted yet. Okay. He's like, just send me your resume. I was like, just tell me what it is. Yeah. And I'm like, I, you know, I, I didn't know what to do at this point. He's like, you trust me, right? I was like, well, yeah. So I ended up sending him my resume. He called me Saturday morning and said, hey, so I talked to, uh, talked to this gentleman. He's going to call you on Monday. Are you working? I said, no. He's like, great. He's in town. He's going to take you to lunch. I was like, what is this for? Yeah. Well, tell <laughs> me what, what, t- the job what is his job for? He said, I am not going to tell you because you're going to say no right away. Okay. I was like, oh, crap. Here we go. Yeah. And so sure enough, I got that phone call Monday morning, and I asked him. He's like, let's just talk about it at lunch. He said, just, just relax. He's like, hell, you can wear shorts if you want. I said, I really don't care. Yeah. I said, I just want to meet you. And as I've already talked to several people and they spoke very highly of you. Cool. I'm like, this is kind of scary. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on here, right? And uh, sure enough, went to lunch and uh, ended up being a sales job. Okay. Never did sales before in my life. Yeah. And now they're, uh, this time I was actually living in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Okay. And this this, uh, position was out back in West Texas. And so I'm like, Okay, so I started trying to talk about the comp, get an idea for it. So I th- I th- if I remember correctly, it's like a guarantee of like thirty or thirty-five thousand, something in that ballpark, guaranteed. Okay, and that's it. Okay, that's and I'm it, like, yeah. and I've never never done sales before. Yep. I'm like, all right, well, I'm not happy where I'm at. I need a change. You know, what? screw it. I'm going to bet on myself. I love it. And just get after it. And what's the worst that's going to happen? You know, because I'm not happy where I'm at right now. And so, I was very fortunate. And I think a lot had to do with talking about the why. Yeah. Um, because this was a provider-specific program, which they're great. I mean, if you're transported by that provider, you're covered. Okay. But they also have their downfall that you have to be transported by that provider. Otherwise, you're not covered. Okay. You know, so um, 
I don't know about you, but I never really plan my emergencies, right? Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I usually so don't I'm have it scheduled on my calendar, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of like, all right, well, this is a partial solution at least. Yeah. And so that's what really. But did you feel though, like at least, oh, I'm I'm onto something with this. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. So I got to ask you though, never been in sales before. I I didn't start my sales career until I was in my early 30s. What did you perceive sales to be at that point? I just want to, because I had a vast misconception <laughs> about what it was. I thought it was a, well, I thought you had to be really slick talking. Yep. yep. You know, and this and that, and you know, I'm not a public speaker. Okay. And I'm not one to get up in front. And you should have saw the first presentation I gave to a commissioner's court. Whew. Were you terrified? Oh, I was terrified. I was nervous. I was sweating. I was yeah. stumbling over my own words. Yep. But somehow they approved it and bought it for, and it covered all the residents okay. in the entire county. And at that time, it was like one of the largest deals of the company. So you had you had immediate kind and of immediate kind of financial success. To exactly the concept too, which which I think is so, always good. Like I I was able to I think when my sales career stop loss, I was able to sell a, a case right and a, right. A, 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 an employer in like the first three months. And they basically, they hired me on in September or October. And like, you're probably not going to sell anything because everything's one, one and you're kind of missing the boat. So don't right. have any expectations, but I was able to land one and go, Oh, okay. So that, that's how you do that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm not, you know, maybe I could do this, but I think it's good when you have that first wind, it just sort of says, okay, like relax. Now you did, this is how it works. You, you get that early wind just gives you a little bit of confidence to continue in your career. But I was the same as you. I thought slick talking had to, manipulate people or trick them into buying. Right. And I'm like, do I want to do that? And then I obviously I discovered very quickly that was a total misconception of the industry. Yeah. You know, for me, the big thing is about relationships. Yep. It's develop those relationships, develop the trust and just create value in the process. Okay. And so, you know, just like we're sitting here talking, I mean, th that's how I approach a lot of meetings and do that. Now, if I have to get a formal presentation overview, you know, I can do that. Um, but I prefer just to, go, you know, grab a drink with somebody oh, or, yeah. gra or grab a lunch yeah. and, you know, and talk about family, talk about sports, whatever it may be. And mm -hmm. so actually some of my closest friends now, um, in the industry, um, I, we may have some business with them. We may not, yep. but it's true. Develop a true partnership and friendship with, and, but they've actually referred me to others. Right. So the they refer time, to so. you or when they need your solution, they come to you, exactly. right? And the sales already done at that point. I, I'm totally with you there. I love building the relationships. I have some good friends in this, really good friends of people that I consider friends, right. even though we're doing business together, which is fun, right? It's exactly, I don't, I, I even approach the podcast to that degree is like, it's not a formal presentation of your solution. We're going to interweave it into the <laughs> conversation, but it's more to get to know you. And I do want to kind of go down that route now. So if we can, can we move into the territory? Sure thing discussing the massive solution. So you brought me up to speed. You had this first sales job. It wasn't this, of course. So um, how long did you do that first sales job? Uh, I was there roughly three years. Okay. And then I got the call from Massa saying, okay. hey, um, Massa's been around by this, by uh, 40, 45 years at this point. Did you know of them? Through I, I've the industry? heard of okay. them, but it was always more of a travel type of, you know, solution. Mm -hmm. Um, or they sold it through certain associations, you know, that sort of thing, right? Okay. And they were wanting to create an employee benefit division and really take what they've had success with previously and take certain benefits out of that, what we call the platinum membership, okay. take certain benefits out of that and create an employee benefit for, right? And so I uh, thought it was brilliant and I loved it. And the great thing I loved about it is the fact that, you know, we're talking about before, those provider specific programs, mm -hmm. With Massa, you're covered by every provider. 
Okay. In all 50 states and Canada, regardless. So regardless who transports you, you're receiving a benefit. Okay, so you don't have to and just so, get lucky with who transports exactly. you. <laughs> so so this was that yeah. solution yeah. that I was looking for, you know, when I was working as a medic. Mm-hmm. And so that's really, you know, we talk about, you know, your why, right? Yep. And that's really where this came from was, and that's, um, this is that ultimate solution mm-hmm. behind it. Right. Well, and, and so, I see there, I, there's a gentleman in our industry and I'll shout out to him, Dave Stenard. He's a, he's an underwriter for a stop loss, um, MGU. And the only reason I bring it up is because he was an underwriter for, I don't know, 25 years before he got into sales about two years ago. He knows everything you need to know about stop loss backwards and forwards, right? right? So you also get to sort of talk the talk and walk the walk with the problem itself because you have firsthand experience right. seeing it. And you never want to sort of sell over the, uh, you know, around fear or horror stories, but the reality is those do happen. And here's a specific example I can bring up of where, if a solution like what this was in place, could it have prevented something like that? Right. So you have that kind of position of authority of experience itself, which I think probably helps you on a daily basis in your, in your sales career. Yeah, I, I would say so. And I, and I really think even without that personal experience that I've had, that everybody's heard of somebody being transported, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, for the longest time you started hearing, I say longest, last several years, right? You started hearing these horror stories about these costs for air ambulance transports. Yeah. But, yeah, those costs are real. Those were there. But for me, you know, I know the frequency of the ground ambulance transports and how often that happens. And to me, that was really that golden nugget mm-hmm. piece behind it, right? And, I mean, when you look at a transport cost being roughly, um, well, it varies greatly. But for me, let's give you an example. T- about two years ago, I was actually transported as a patient. Okay. And my bill is $2,200. 2200 go ground transport? Ground transport Correct. to go nine miles. Okay. 2200 And that was your response? That was my response. What was the total bill, do you know? Roughly you? 29 Okay. And, and the reason for that is because a lot of these providers on that ground side are actually out of network. Okay. And depending on what study you look at, I mean, you're upwards of 80, 85% of providers are out of network. Are out of network. Okay. And so even if the plan says, hey, it reimburses as if it's in network, you know, that's only how they adjudicate the claim, right? And where they apply, like, the deductible to, does it apply to your out-of-network or in-network deductible, mm-hmm. your out-of-pocket max, you know, those dollars. And But the reality is the fact that that provider's still out-of-network. So what is the so point of a network be. if 95% of pe- or the providers are out-of-network? Is that even a network at that point? It's really not. Okay. I mean, it's, it's really not. It's it, what it, we call a narrow network, right? <laughs> I don't even know if you call it that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a <honest>. sliver. <laughs> yeah. It's a little tiny yeah. bit. So and, and you have to get lucky, you know. And, yeah. and the last point on that piece real yeah. quick is that a lot of the in-network providers is because they're part of a hospital system. Okay. And they're owned by the hospital system. So the hospital system is billing it. Yeah. And so that hospital's in network with the, um, that particular insurance carrier. So therefore, the ambulance service is in network. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So, so that's where the in network piece really try to. So that's the ground. Up, so. Is that roughly what you had to pay out of pocket? I know it's, it's market specific, there's a lot of dynamics, but is that ballpark a pretty common patient uh, responsibility? I'm, it's not uncommon for us to see around 1500 1500 bucks. I mean, okay. sometimes you, you can be talking to a 300 Okay. Um, Saw so a. Uh, claim from last year actually here in texas okay it was a transfer from one hospital to another went about 100 miles seventeen thousand dollars for ground transport and that was the patient's responsibility that was the patient's responsibility seventeen thousand dollars for a hundred miles for 100 miles by ground business dude (laughs) (laughs) no joke right but then uh, obviously that goes up precipitously with the air transport right so what's a common kind of uh responsibility for air well you know that that's 
before I would say, hey, you can be looking at fifty, sixty, that seventy thousand dollars, right? Yeah. But you know, with that no surprises act in place now, um, that's really tampering that down some. Okay. Now the challenge. I think with the NSA is nobody really is certain how all that's going to truly transpire hmm. and roll out. Um, I don't know if you saw it or not, but in um, February of this year, uh, the federal um, court uh, is the Eastern District of Texas. Okay. Um, the judge there actually ruled against part of the IDR process. Okay. So, of course, so, you know, the IDR process is an important part, right, of the entire well, dispute I don't resolution. Know if I, know, oh, I don't know what IDR means. I want to make sure that that is, if other so people don't the, as well. So it's the, I got the I, but it's uh, dispute resolution. Okay. okay. So it's basically how they determine, you know, what's actually going to end up getting paid gotcha. by the carrier, right, and what that final allowable amount is going to be, in essence. And because, you know, carriers think it's way up here, health plans think it's way down here. Uh-huh. And so it's like, you know, where in between is that going to fall? Okay. And so um, it was basically ruled, from my understanding, that it was unfairly um, weighted towards the carrier side on how that's calculated okay. and how that's figured out. And so now it, you have a lot of stuff just kind of pending and kind of trying to figure out. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that, you know, I, and this is my own personal opinion, right, that I fully anticipate probably happening is that you're looking at uh, probably carriers are going to get more strict on what they consider a medical necessity. And so they'll say, hey, yeah, maybe you need to be flown, but it should have been non-emergent. Okay. Right? And you're flown because of distance, and that's the only reason why. Okay. And so, but it's being billed as emergent. You didn't get that pre-approval. So guess what? They deny the claim. So now as a patient, you'd be stuck with that entire bill. Yeah, yeah. Right, in that situation, right? You can appeal it. You probably come some kind of agreement on something. But, I mean, it's a lot of headache. It's a lot of hassle. Especially if you see, even if it's not emergent. I mean, okay, so presumably the person is of sound mind and body to make a decision if it's non-emergent. But in an emergent situation, right? I mean, if somebody's getting flown out of necessity or they're incapacitated, I mean, you literally don't even know any of this is transpiring Right. And then hopefully you survive and afterwards you get stuck with a, a big bill as well. So I want to talk about how your kind of solution intervenes in that. So let's get into a little bit of the mechanics, if okay. you will. So kind of identify the problem, right? Egregious charges, potentially landing in the patient's lap. What does MASA do to sort of intervene or smooth out or make that more predictable for, for both employer and employee? Yeah, so it really is a lot of it's going to depend on what state that group is sightest in. Um, because over the last, you know, a little bit, we've come insurance in certain states versus membership. And, okay. And part of that is actually opened up additional offerings, you know, availabilities. So in some cases, you know, you're looking at where we just help kind of mitigate that out-of-pocket cost by negotiating with that provider with the end goal where they're going to owe zero out-of-pocket. Okay. Right. Okay. Ultimately. Um, obviously, there's caveats here and there and, you know, like anything else, right? But then um, other states, it's more of an indemnity type of product. Okay. Um, and so, or there's even some cases where it's a hybrid. Um, so it just really depends on that state. But ultimately what we're looking to do is really provide some kind of solution to help relieve some of that stress of that financial impact that one may have, you know, from, uh, from a transport. Was the goal so, to attack, obviously, the employee side and maybe get it down to a no out-of-pocket? What about the employer side? Is it also driving down the total cost of the the claim itself as well? Yeah, it, and it, again, it just really depends, right? Okay. I mean, you have your self-funded groups, and we do everything from self-funded to fully insured. Mm-hmm. So you have everything in between, right? Okay. Um, so obviously, when you're looking at your fully insured, even level funded, you're kind of, there's not much it's going to do on that. 
um, because the plan's going to pay what it's going to pay, and that's it, right? Um, but uh, there's still a lot of that value, obviously, for the employee uh, from that standpoint. Uh, when you're looking at the self-funded groups, um, let's take a ground ambulance transport, for mm-hmm. example. Um, it just really depends on what the plan's already reimbursing. Um, so it, although it may not be RBP or not, let's just say it's they're reimbursing 300% of Medicare, the equivalent of that. So I tell you what, hey, let's reduce that exposure a little bit to the plan, make it where it's capped, where it's more predictable mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. um, or do a flat dollar amount, you know, whichever way. Um, and then at that point, what we can do is implement MASA, because normally when you cap it like that, you're shifting that responsibility to the employee, right? Yes, yes. And so what now with MASA in place, you're eliminating that or dramatically reducing that exposure to the employee. And so it really kind of both sides can win, right? Okay. Um, and one thing I always like to caution just, you know, both our partners as well as, you know, the employers on that is don't think it's going to be a kind of a net zero or a savings overall, especially if it's going to be employer paid. But what you're doing is you're enhancing your overall benefits mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it goes even one step further is, you know, the way I like to look at it is we're challenging the employers to think on a larger um, picture, right? Um, where, you know, so often we start thinking about, all right, how many people is on the health plan? You know, you're making decisions on certain benefits, what to include this or that based on who's on the health plan itself. You know, so a spouse or dependent may be on another plan altogether. Mm-hmm. With MASA, with the solution, it covers everybody in that family. Okay. And, and so even if they're not on the health plan, they're still getting this benefit. And so, you know, we were uh, talking earlier, right, just about uh, like the uh, people keep, you know, studies out there where employees are looking for a solution and they want to be at least be offered some benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and they feel like in most cases they're not getting that from their employer. Just not, right, so, so not enough choice, if exactly. you will. Okay. And so you, you would put this more in the, kind of enhancement of the benefits realm you said you wouldn't necessarily position this solely as a hey i'm trying to save money as an employer you know obviously right. it's geared yeah. towards saving employees money that's that's the idea but right. this is an enhancement uh, an enhanced exactly. offering, correct? it's okay. a hands offering at the same time you can help control, control. So it's not it's not necessarily reduce but you can maybe help control the out a little more predictability or the, the, uh, control the plane cost okay and then so, so uh, you guys do that. You also do like repatri- repatriation, right? right? Like, can you explain that? I'd like to understand that benefit. Yeah, yeah. So th- that's a that's a benefit that gets utilized. I think a lot more than people realize. Yeah. Um, because the way we have it set up, let's say you're at a hospital more than 100 miles away from home, um, and um, something because you know you're traveling or whatever it may be, you get hospitalized there. We can actually get you, and you're going to be hospitalized for an extended period of time. We can get you transported back to a hospital closer to home. Okay. And so think about this: how many. Um, how many employees have kids off to college or kids that play club sports, right? Mm-hmm. And they travel all the time mm-hmm. or they go on family vacations. We can get ways to hell um, at they fishing trips, hunting trips, you name it. Cause we're only talking a hundred miles. And if you think about it, that's almost going from one side of the DFW to the other. Yeah, right? yeah for sure. And so um, it's something that again, it's, it's a benefit that can get utilized a lot more. Um, and I think it's just one of those also that gets overlooked at the same time. So repatriation right, so. doesn't necessarily mean back in country. It can just mean back into your lo- lo- local locale, right, exactly. or your home. Okay. Do you have an example? You, you're saying sports, but it may maybe a, a situation that you see pretty commonly where that would be a really useful benefit for somebody, um, like an exa- a specific example of that was something you saw happen? or Yeah, so we had – this actually happened during COVID, right? Okay. Um, we had a member up in Denver. Okay. It was hospitalized up there. And um, – 
she was getting where she was getting better. Um, but uh, trying to get back home. Mm-hmm. And so we were actually able to help arrange a transport to get her back to a hospital, you know, a facility uh, in the Amarillo area where she's from. And is that a flight so or is that a, it, a ground? It, or Man, it just really depends on what's the most appropriate means, right? So if you're talking about a very long, large distance, well, it can range a flight to make that happen. If it's um, typically, I mean, if you're talking less than 100 miles, it's probably going to be a ground ambulance. Okay. Because by the time you arrange the flight and all that happens... They could already been there by ground. And if I'm so. that person, right, how do, I, how do I know this benefit exists to me? I mean, is it something that's communicated to me at open enrollment? I've made a choice right. to, to purchase it. And then, like, do I have an ID card? How do I know to even access it in an emergency-style situation so, like this? So when specifically with the repatriation yeah, benefit, yes. that, yeah. that's in that type of scenario, all you have to do is, well, first of all, the way it works, mechanics, is you just call us. We have a whole dispatch transport okay. center um, that's staffed, you know, 24 hours day seven days a week 365 because you know we have members traveling all over the world so it really depends on what level of membership you choose depending on what that coverage area is but um when we're looking at just how to use that all they have to do is just call us okay whether it's the hospital call us or the member call us somebody just let us know then we start getting all the information gathering it and we can arrange that transport you know accordingly right and the same would apply in an international situation as exactly. well right okay obviously the logistical challenges are a lot yeah, more it's difficult. a little more there yeah, yeah, it's a little involved, more there than, but, yeah going 100 miles but that's right. something i never really consider right i mean i've traveled overseas before you know for soccer tournaments and stuff like that of right. course going all over the country when i was younger for the, you never consider well what happens if i got hurt here how do how do i get home exactly it's not something i even think about today right but it's it's I imagine it's a pretty useful benefit Benefit. But just like any type of benefit, you don't think about it until you need it and you want to make sure it's not too late. So are you guys packaging these solutions collectively? Do they get purchased on their own? Like how does that how does that work? So so within an employer group, it just really depends on what is going to be the best solution for that employer group. And that's something that we pride ourselves into is really taking a consultative base approach, you know, whether it's directly with their broker you know, partner, or if it's with a group directly, you know, through the broker, however that may be, mm-hmm. is that, you know, I like, for me, I personally like to learn a little bit more about the group and get a little more details, you know, about it. And then we try to figure out the best solution to kind of move forward. Right. I mean, if it's, of course, everybody would love to get employer paid. You don't have to worry about it. You capture hundred mm-hmm. percent and move on. Right. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's not always the best for that particular group in that situation for employer paid. Okay. And so in those type of situations, you know, is a hate, maybe you contribute half of it for those that want to enroll, right? So if you really think about it, right, instead of, say, $14 a month for the family, they contribute half at 7 how many more people are going to buy it if it's $7? Yep. yep. And you're going to get a very, very high participation rate on that. And, um, I mean, it's one of those things that's kind of like, your your assets really almost kind of saving the company money at the same time too. When is this a product so, that gets underwritten, or is it fairly you know static uh, pricing? So it, it's it's pretty static for okay. the most part. Um, yeah. You know, it's historically where it was a fixed rate completely. Um, last year we've had more kind of flexibility, especially on the employer paid side. Okay, uh, doing different things and just working with our partners. You know, we truly like to develop those true partnerships. Um, so we've done different things here and there. Um, for the partners. Again, some of the states that were, were more insurance 
uh, we have a lot more restrictions at this point, sure. you know, for it because it just got the insurance <laughs> kind of, you know, rating for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, but over time, we think that's going to evolve a little bit. But when outside that, so. those challenges, is, is there a situation where it's just like not a good fit, right? I mean, I, I'm, we're both in sales, right? We know sometimes we talk to a prospect and the more you dig, you realize, well, that's probably not what you need. Like, do you, are there situations or industries <laughs> or that it's not a good fit for? So, you, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, because when you're looking at most health plans, there's going to be some exposure to the employee, right? Some form or fashion, yeah. right? Now the question is what that degree of exposure is. So if you're just looking at the surface and they don't have, you know, they don't want to say maybe do any kind of plain, you know, amendments to the language or uh, plain language amendments that um, there may be a, can maybe bring a little question and say, Hey, is this really the best offering? Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. But the reality is most situations, if you know, they have that rich of a plan, they can do some planning. They can do amendments here and there yeah. to really try to make it more, uh, um, predictable, really protect it. And then at the same time, implement this benefit where it helps eliminate that. Another thing, again, to kind of keep in, keep in mind is, especially when you start seeing those rich plans, the spouse and dependents a lot of times have to be on another plan altogether. Okay. Right. Okay. And so with MASA, now you're also covering the spouse and the dependents. Yeah, that makes sense. So when we do look at claims experience, we have to keep that in mind that, you know, this may be employee only covered here. And and if they're married and have kids, what plan are they on? Yeah. That makes what sense. does that look like? Cause that claims experience is not going to show up on this report. When, how do you see so. the future of this evolving? You mentioned no surprises, Zach, um, and I want to make sure we're uh, you know, conscientious of your time here. I'll kind of wrap it up. But so, so future of this space, right, in particular, what, what has changed over the last few years? How did COVID impact that? And then no surprises, Act, if it plays out as expected, how do you think your industry is going to evolve or evolve a little bit? Well, so, you know, for us, just really that latter part, um, it hasn't really had an impact on us um, because, again, our big thing is talking about that ground ambulance transport, right? Because it happens so often. Statistically, it's 25 to 30 million people are treated by EMS each year. 25 to 30, so about 25 10% of the population almost? Exactly. Oh, wow. Now, now, now granted, granted, when you really break it down, um, that's the frequency, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. obviously sick people are transported a little bit more. more. Often. Yeah, that makes that's sense. sort of thing. But the reality is something that happens on a very frequent basis, right? And so what... And I always try to, you know, keep this perspective out there that, guys, I mean, you're looking at 55 times more ground animals transports than air. 55 times? 55 okay. times more statistically. And so it's kind of one of those things like, all right, so, you know, is this really impacting us, the NSA, with the No Surprises Act? Because it's not the majority of our claims. The majority mm -hmm. of our claims are at the ground side. Okay. And I think that's why we see, say, in the Metroplex, we have a lot of large clients you know, specifically some school districts and that sort of thing, they're offering mass and have for several years now. They're not worried about being flown. They're worried about that ground animals they yeah, see every day. The 25 right. you know, a year that happen on the and ground side. Yeah. Exactly. And the, the NSA doesn't cover ground. Okay. And so, so that's the reason their exposure is still there. And when you really start talking about your value prop kind of behind mm -hmm. it, independent perspective, take that $1,500 bill, patient responsibility one may have. Mm -hmm. $1,500? Some people say, hey, that's not much. You know, whatever, I'll just pay it if it happens. But why? Mm -hmm. <laughs> when you look at the cost of MASA, yeah. to cover a $1,500 bill, I mean, you could be paying on MASA for nine years, 
to be covering that one transport. Really? I mean, so when you really start talking about your ROI, why would you want to expose yourself to a bill mm -hmm. knowing it could potentially be a lot more? Could be a little bit less, but you just don't know the uncertainty there. When you can have it done for a very affordable, yeah, there's you know, a, there's right, I, so. I start to see some things like you know DPC. There's some carve outs for like dialysis. Right. Like it's like, yes, the cost savings is a driver. Yes, but also the predictability of the cost itself, turning right. it into more of a fixed cost versus this variable, unpredictable cost, makes a lot of sense, right? If you know it's going to be there and you calculate that ROI like you just described, it's like, well, if I could turn it into a fixed cost, it's more predictable. Should ultimately, hopefully, the idea is to save money as well, but I can budget towards something that is predictable. Right. It's more, a lot more difficult to budget towards something that is wildly unpredictable and has a huge variation in, in actual costs as well. So I totally understand the argument. I'd love to dig, in, you know, dig into the math on a separate occasion because I, totally. I would love to see it. I'm a finance guy uh, by trade. But I want to ask you, has Uber shaken up? your space a little bit because i have heard you know sort of through the grapevine well, people like, Uber. yeah or no but i mean like hey I, I cut my finger i know i need to go to urgent care right. but i don't think i need an ambulance so let me call an uber and bleed in the back of some stranger's car instead i mean do you see that happening a lot you know you, you hear stories about it where people say hey i can't afford the ambulance yeah Uber's a hell of a lot cheaper, yeah. so they call Uber. <laughs> you know, you know, take them to the hospital. Well, yeah, what's like the kind of the, so you kind know of, anything about the liability or the legal? Oh, I'm nature? sure there's all kinds of liability. Yeah, because if I'm an Uber driver that don't doesn't know I'm showing up to an emergency situation, right. I'm just picking a person up, and all of a sudden they're holding their hand and bl gushing blood. You're like, what do I do as a driver in that situation? Like, I'm sure Uber has protocols and stuff like that because it happens. I'm right. probably more often than we might think. Yeah, I, I've heard stories about it, but it kind of really makes you wonder too, doesn't it? You're like, yeah. Well, I mean, I just say, yeah, could Jeez. there be Uber Medical? Like, maybe I'm sure Uber's already working on it if it's possible. But hey, let's let's go and wrap things up. Well, I really appreciate your time, man, and thanks for sharing the story. But maybe closing thoughts, you know, things to think about, a little little food for thought as we get on our way. Yeah, I, I would say, um, well, first of all, I appreciate the time you again. Know? Yeah, so, my uh, pleasure, man. Definitely enjoy it. Now, and for closing thoughts, man, I, I would say the big thing is just really think about just the value. You know, whether say you're a channel partner. Mm -hmm. Think about the value you're creating to your client, you know, by offering something like this, positioning something like this to them, you know, for their clients. And then when you're looking on the employer side, the decision maker side, you know, you're creating value to your employees by enhancing those benefits mm -hmm. for it. Um, and the last stat, you know, I love stats. So I like stats too. The, man. the last stat is so, with a stat. Let's do it. So uh, that people keep study mm -hmm. uh, that came out said that I, I want to say it was 42% of people that were surveyed rather have one additional benefit than a $200 race a month. Really? That's interesting. So, I mean, when you per compare that to just the shortcomings based on that study, right, of what offerings are out there, I think as an industry where you're on the carrier side or the consultant side that we have work to do, <laughs> you know, and so it's really finding those solutions to put in front of the clients and, and, you know, when you look at a benefit like Massa, it just makes a lot of sense um, because everybody's exposed to a ground ambulance. It's one of those yeah. things you don't know when it's going to happen. Yep. And just to be able to provide that peace of mind at such a very affordable rate, it just well, makes Well, that's kind of the goal of this sense, podcast, so. right, is there's so many solutions out there, right. but it's almost impossible for, you said channel partners, so your brokers, right, it's almost impossible for them to be aware of everything and then be able to get the employer's attention enough to be able to describe an enhanced or a new style benefit because they're, they're so worried about all the other fires they're trying to put out, right? right? Exactly. So, like, part of the reason this podcast exists is to allow this to be fleshed out over an hour, let somebody listen to it on their own time, and if it piques their interest – 
now they're a little bit more prepared to have a conversation about does this fit or not. Right. But you've sort of vetted the solution out in real time rather than having to set a meeting. Do I do I have time for that? You know, it's just right. sort of demystify a lot of the solutions that are out there, but highlight interesting stuff as well. And so I hope I hope I was able to do that for you today and hopefully get you some some eyeballs and some some earballs on your on your <laughs> on your uh, on your on your solution, man. So Will again, so, thank you so much for, for joining me today. Pleasure to meet you. Thanks for sharing well, your story and I hope we get definitely. a chance to hang out more soon. Definitely. All right man. Thanks man. True Captive believes in healthcare that is personal an insurance that isn't complicated. Check them out at truecaptive.com.